The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sport Box this Monday morning. Headlines. Talk of a stripped-down stimulus plan as Democrats reject a $1.8 trillion aid package proposal as hopes fade that a rescue plan can be agreed ahead of the November election. President Trump says he has fully recovered now from COVID, claiming he is now immune as the U.S. leader returns to the campaign trail with an event on the White House lawn. We'll get rid of it all over the world. You see big flare-ups in Europe, big flare-ups in Canada, very big flare-up in Canada. You saw that today. A lot of flare-ups, but uh, it's going to disappear. France reports a new record level of virus cases as more cities see the maximum alert level raised, while infections in Germany push higher and curfews in Frankfurt and Berlin take effect. The yuan retreats from 17-month highs after the People's Bank of China cuts the forward reserve requirement in a bid to manage the currency's appreciation against the dollar. Congressional lawmakers have rejected a White House proposal for a new $1.8 trillion coronavirus relief package as talks to reach a fresh stimulus deal before the November election remain at an impasse. The Trump administration's plan would include aid for state and local governments and liability protection for business, along with $20 billion in support for the struggling airline sector. Senate Republicans opposed the plan in a weekend call with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows saying they are not pleased with the high cost of the latest proposal. Meanwhile, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi claimed the package was not large enough, adding that more funds were needed to help support virus testing and tracing. Well, Mnuchin and Meadows later released a letter calling for legislation to release funds from a small business bailout program while a larger stimulus deal is discussed. They also urge lawmakers not to take a, quote, all-or-nothing approach to negotiations. Elsewhere, President Trump says he plans to return to the campaign trail this week after claiming he's fully recovered from the disease. NBC's Kelly O'Donnell has the report. Tonight, President Trump making a new claim about his own COVID recovery, saying he tested negative in an audio message to supporters. We're in great shape, tested uh, totally negative and uh, really in good shape. But the White House physician, Sean Conley, has not reported the president tested negative for COVID. In a memo late Saturday, Dr. Conley wrote he is no longer considered a transmission risk to others. Today in a Fox News phone interview, the president claimed he is now protected by immunity. You know, the word immunity means something. Having uh, having, uh, really a protective glow means something. The CDC guidance says being cleared from isolation does not imply immunity. 
The doctor's memo also indicates the president may have had more recent fever and lingering symptoms, given this wording. Fever-free for well over 24 hours, and all symptoms improved. The president's health injected in a campaign ad. President Trump is recovering from the coronavirus, and so is America. The Trump campaign used an old interview clip from Dr. Anthony Fauci. President Trump tackled the virus head on, as leaders should. I can't imagine that anybody could be doing more. But Dr. Fauci tells NBC News, They did this without my permission, and my comments were taken out of context. In my five decades of public service, I have never publicly endorsed, nor do I now endorse any political candidates. The Trump campaign responded in part, the video is from a nationally broadcast television interview in which Dr. Fauci was praising the work of the Trump administration. Today, Joe Biden attended mass in Delaware, while this weekend Biden warned Democrats to be wary of intimidation tactics at polling places. We got to go out and make sure you vote because the only way we lose this is by the chicanery going on relative to polling places. Kelly O'Donnell with that report. Well, President Trump is set to hold rallies in key battles, battleground states this week, beginning in Florida on Monday. Events in Pennsylvania and Iowa are also planned for later this week as the president looks to gain ground in the polls with just over three weeks to go until Election Day. So as I wandered over to the wall here to have a look at how we closed out the trading session last week, I was thinking, you know, what what should be the slogan for the morning here? And I think seeing is believing should be the slogan because um, we've got all of these stories surrounding the president and his health. But ultimately, the uh, market will make its own decision on how well or otherwise President Trump appears to be based on his appearances in the media and further campaigning events. And seeing is believing when it comes to the market performance at the moment, because in spite of all the negativity we have around the China-US relationship, the concerns we have on Brexit, the ongoing worries about whether there will be a full stimulus, a full fat stimulus, if you like, a skinny stimulus or something in between, the markets are ignoring that and they are moving gradually higher at this point. So a few things to just mention here as we focus in on the performance of these uh, three key indices. We are now Dow positive year to date here and all of these indices have managed to string together a three-day winning streak. What's also interesting is how the market is refocusing on the traditional driver, growth. I looked at the uh, iShares Russell ETFs, the growth up 1.52% on Friday, the value 0.17%. So it was still a positive, but it was a long way behind what we saw in the growth numbers as investors again recommitted to this idea of fangs and other growth stocks taking us higher. We've just got our team to put together this wonderful board that just gives you a very clear picture of that gradual ascent we saw through last week here and quite strong gains on a weekly basis, really. Look, the Nasdaq, uh, 4.5% here, the S&P, 3.8% across the week. 
What about the broader economy? You, you might think with all these nerves around a stimulus plan that would help Main Street and Middle America, we might see some concerns being expressed in the Russell, that broader measure of small and mid-cap stocks. Well, not a bit of it, really. Week to date, the Russell actually up 6.4% almost. And that implies that increasingly, I think, uh, investors are not concerned about these record numbers of infections that we're seeing in some U.S. states. They appear to have discounted increasingly the threat from coronavirus. One other point to mention here, this week is going to be notable because we get some of the big U.S. banks reporting. But the expectation is from fact set that on the third quarter earnings, we will see trend earnings growth ultimately negative 20.5% on the previous uh, quarter, the the like-for-like quarter. And that is better than the second quarter expectation, which was for a negative 30.6%, but it is probably the second worst expectation on a third quarter set of earnings we've ever seen for the S&P. So just bear that in mind as you begin to hear the analysts talk about how these companies have hurdled much lowered expectations here. These numbers are not good, but perhaps, as the uh, many of the analysts will want to tell us, they are better than the expectation. A couple of interesting stories around Asia, just to mention for you, as we look at the boards this morning, look at the performance of the Chinese markets here as they come back to battle after that very long period away. I just wanted to make a couple of points. One is obviously the PBOC uh, movement here. Technically, what they're doing is scrapping the need to hold reserves on yuan forward contracts, but don't get hung up about the detail. What it effectively means is they're removing a guard against depreciation. And the Chinese authorities have become a little nervous, I think, about the way that the yuan has strengthened uh, through the course of this year here. Just a reminder to you, Chinese blue chips up 17% year-to-date against, uh, what, the S&P, 8%, something like that. Japan, well, we had a better set of machinery orders out of Japan, but, hey, you look at the index, it looks as though nobody particularly cared. Uh, The opening calls for Europe, well, they're broadly positive at this stage. Um, The FTSE uh, effectively flat, but generally it feels like there is a positive tone on the equity trade as we come into the start of a fresh trading week. And what about the greenback? Should we just show you uh, how the uh, dollar is trading? If we can pop up the uh, the board here. Sterling dollar. Well, we are sat at 130.44. So um, perhaps that explains a little bit about the expectation around the equity trading session here that we do see sterling back in 130 territory here. And as you can see on some of the other Uh, crosses at this stage. A little bit of a mixed picture, really. These moves are not significant at this point. Let's uh, see if we can get you some uh, angles on where to put your money then as we start this trading week. Lydia Treber is with us, Director of Fixed Income Research at Wisdom Tree. Lydia, we should probably just point out that we're not going to get any uh, Treasury market trade today because the fixed income markets in the States are closed for Columbus Day. But uh, just be interested in in your thoughts at the moment as to how the markets are behaving 
around the on-again, off-again um, uh, stimulus talks? Absolutely. So I think really, if we think about the week that just ended, it was a roller coaster week. Uh, obviously, we saw at the start of the week, uh, President Trump asked his administration to completely stop negotiations with uh, the Democrats in the House. And, and, and really, uh, that didn't last very long because we started to see some negotiations taking place on parts of the, the potential stimulus bill. But you saw and you, you clearly pointed out that on Friday, President Trump came out with a new fiscal package in the realm of one point eight trillion. So above the initial one point six trillion. So clearly, you know, it, it is higher, but uh, it, it's not uh, to the level uh, that the Democrats in the House were looking for. They were looking for something more around the realm of two point two trillion. But aside from, you know, this gap in the actual value of the envelope, uh, there's really a lot of issues that remain outstanding. Uh, they weren't really addressed yet. So obviously, you know, that one of the major issues is the actual plan that, that the administration is going to put in place in order to tackle the virus. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously in, in the previous plan, there was the question whether there was going to be stimulus for state and local governments. It appears that some of this was addressed, but, you know, there's still key issues within uh, the aid for state and local governments that need to be addressed. And so there's still a number of issues that need to be resolved before we can even get to a package that will move on to the Senate. Uh, and so the Republican held Senate has to now, you know, then approve uh, that that bill. Uh, so as you can see, there's still a number of hurdles that need to be met before we can see uh, any sort of a bill coming through. So, you know, the, the probability of a bill uh coming to fruition before the election is starting to kind of uh, fall lower. And it looks like it's going to kind of move a little bit more towards uh, after the election. But, you know, this is a, a very dynamic situation. So we'll continue to watch, uh, watch to see if anything new comes about this week. What's been interesting is we, we've watched the curve steadily steepen and then we get statements from Fed governors and even from Jay Powell, which seem to pull the rug away from the long end of the curve. There are concerns, it seems to me, being expressed by the Fed about doing any further QE at this point and about the need for fiscal rather than monetary. Uh, what do you think that implies as to what we might see then early next year or even uh, in November as to fresh announcements uh, from either the Federal Reserve or potentially other central banks? Well, I think, you know, that the Fed was very clear that they're going to remain accommodative and, and really they're in the right place. Uh, if you think about the economic data that we've been seeing from the U.S., I mean, clearly the lockdown measures had, you know, significantly negative impact on the first quarter and second quarter GDP data. But we've started to see some, you know, positive monthly uh, GDP prints for several months now. And if you look at the actual unemployment rate, that's been steadily falling since that peak level that we saw in April. But if you want to take a better pulse of what's happening in this U.S. labor market, uh, I think a good figure to look at is weekly initial jobless claims. And while that's been steadily falling, it's starting to kind of, you know, come to a stall. And, you know, it's it's been remaining stubbornly high at over 800,000 weekly claims since the middle of March. 
So, you know, there's clearly some weakness in the labor market. Uh, and so th- there will be some need and the market's asking for it, some sort of a stimulus uh, and, and more so in, in the form of, of a stimulus bill to kind of you know, boost uh, economic growth in the U.S. As we look at uh, the European picture, the uh, PMIs and some of the other spot data sort of ebbs and flows, but it's not really telling us that there is much strength outside of Germany in any economic rebound. Uh, And yet you get the sense that the ECB also at this stage is not keen to do too much more on the QE front. What do you think happens uh, next in the European context? Uh, So if we think about what the ECB has done in this crisis, which we know they've acted much faster than they did during the last crisis. So they launched, uh, you know, this pandemic emergency program called PEP back in March in the realm of 750 billion euros. They quickly realized that it just wasn't enough. So they raised uh, the amount of the envelope by 600 billion to a total of 1.35 trillion euros. Now, when we had that last uh, MPC meeting in September, the, the ECB made it very clear that they're in no hurry to raise the PEP. But since that September meeting, we've, as you, you've pointed out, we've seen you know, weaker economic data, we've seen disappointing inflation, and clearly the number of cases has been steadily rising across Europe. And you know, we've started to see some localized lockdowns. So that's clearly going to have an impact on, uh, on growth. But you know, I think at this stage, Unless we see a drastic change uh, in the economic data, uh, at Wisdom Tree, we believe that, you know, that there, there is no impetus for the ECB to kind of make another move to raise the PEP uh, over the next few months. But, you know, I think, you know, the market is, is really not concerned about any ECB firepower. If we think about what the European Commission did, they, you know, they put forward seven, 750 billion in new EU bonds in a recovery fund, another 100 billion for a SURE program, uh, which has already been approved to support the labor market uh, in Europe. So, you know, this is already going to be issued uh, at the end of this month uh, as planned. So, you know, that the market's really awaiting these new uh, European Union bonds that that are uh, aiming to provide support for, for obviously this this wailing European economy that's trying to tackle the, the COVID-19 crisis. Lydia, it's really a loss. Yes? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, wrap up with a final question, really, then, as to, to how this all boils down to uh, investor behaviour and what your advice would be to uh, those watching this morning about how they should go about trying to make their portfolios resilient or to deal with the higher uncertainty that we see this week. So I think European government bonds have really been supported by, you know, obviously this these quantitative easing programs. So, you know, we've seen very strong performance in European government bonds and we continue to see the support. We're expecting a lot of this new European Union bond issuance uh, coming over the next few months and into the next few years. And it's really going to continue to provide support for sovereigns. So, uh, you know, we've started to see a lot of investors, uh, you know, here at Wisdom Tree, uh, when we're having these conversations with clients, diversify with less, uh, you know, uh, risk type investments and diversify into uh, government related and, and government uh, bonds. 
All right, we're going to wrap up with you. Nice to see you, Lydia. Thank you for giving us your time this morning. Lydia, uh, Lydia Treber, uh, Director of Fixed Income Research at Wisdom Tree. U.S. Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett is set to appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee for the first time today as Republicans move to quickly fill the vacant seat ahead of the election. In her opening remarks, Judge Barrett will vow to apply the Constitution and laws as they were written, adding uh, that she did not seek this position, according to a statement obtained by NBC News. Barrett is believed to have the required votes in the Republican-controlled Senate to be confirmed. Her appointment would tilt the Supreme Court firmly towards the right as she replaces the departed Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was known for her liberal rulings. Still to come then, France sets a record in daily new coronavirus cases as more cities are placed on maximum alert. We'll have more on that story. Plus, if you want to hear more about how the markets are shaping up for the week and what progress is being made on a stimulus, skin down or otherwise, have a listen to the Squawk Box podcast. I'm told it's a good one this morning. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Twenty-three minutes past the hour. Let's update you on the latest on Brexit. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has told French President Emmanuel Macron he will explore every avenue in a bid to secure a trade deal with the EU. Negotiators from both sides are now rushing to secure an agreement ahead of Johnson's October 15th deadline. Meanwhile, British ministers have reportedly been told to build up their links to the Biden campaign in the US. The Sunday Times reporting Downing Street is becoming increasingly convinced that President Trump may not be re-elected. The British government will today unveil fresh local lockdown measures for England, with Liverpool set to see the tightest restrictions. The Prime Minister will present the latest changes in the House of Commons before giving a press conference in Downing Street this evening. UK Communities Secretary Robert Jenrick defended the curbs, saying he didn't want to see a return to a full national lockdown. Although the number of cases rising rapidly across the country, there are still huge variations. You know, if you go to North Norfolk, I think the latest statistics showed that the number of cases is around 19. If you go to Manchester, it's well over 500. So it is right that we pursue a localised approach. That must be the way forward because none of us want to see a return to blanket national measures. That would be the alternative. Robert Jenrick. Well, a partial curfew has been introduced in Berlin and Frankfurt over the weekend to help curb the spread of the virus. The German capital has reported 400 new daily cases, with Chancellor Merkel saying there is now cause for concern. Let's catch up with Aneta for more on the story here. Aneta, tell us a little bit more about the restrictions that are being imposed. 
Well, it's a mix of restriction. It is including tighter rules on mask wearing, um, upper limits on the size of private gathering, and there's also public gathering, and of course a curb on the sale of alcohol when it comes to um, drinking in the public sphere. But essentially what's happening is that um, Angela Merkel, when she stepped out on Friday, was saying, again, we're facing a make-or-break moment, and they're monitoring the situation now for another 10 days or perhaps two weeks, and then if the reinfection rates are not going down, I guess Germany will see more and more uh, restrictions uh, going forward. Because clearly, if you look at the the curve, we are starting to see exponential growth, and that's what also the head of the Charité, um, Berlin's big hospital, was saying on Friday. And this has to be prevented. Angela Merkel, um, some days ago, was also painting that very... Um, sort of interesting picture that if we are not um, if we are not uh, successful in getting infection rates down, we could end uh, well uh, could end up uh, with infection rates as high as twenty thousand a day. Looking at the exponential growth potential, it is having. What's different this time compared to um, the the time in March and, and April is that it's more like widely spread, especially in the um, in the urban areas like Munich, Frankfurt, Berlin, but also Hamburg. Um, people coming back from holidays brought back Corona. But now we're seeing also tightness in, for example, hospital personnel, which are get, getting infected more um, aggressively than back in, in spring. So I guess the situation as it is now, as I was saying, it, it's not it's not going into a full lockdown as in March and April, and that's what also our economy minister is, was saying. But um, they're monitoring the situation, and they also are sending military to all these uh, cities which have higher infection rates than 50 over a seven-day period um, on 100,000 inhabitants. Jeff? All right. Annetta, thank you so much. Uh, Annetta with us uh, uh, on the latest on the German situation. Apologies for the, for the quality of line there. Um, Spain's prime minister has defended the government's decision to declare a state of emergency in the Madrid region. Uh, Sanchez issued a 15-day lockdown order on October the 2nd amid increasing tensions between local and national authorities over new virus containment measures. Over the weekend, Sanchez called for unity. Let's banish any partisan fight in the name of one common enemy, the virus, and one battle from the scientific and technical point of view, rather than the ideological one, because this is an epidemiological battle, not an ideological one. Uh, Mr. Sanchez there. Let's uh, talk about France. Um, the country has set a new single-day record on new virus cases. This is two more cities have now been placed on maximum alert amid a surge in infections. Uh, Charlotte, help us understand uh, why we're seeing this spike in cases. Good morning, Jeff. As you say, we saw these record numbers uh, coming up over the weekend. So 20, almost 27,000 on Saturday that came after a record of 20,000 on Friday. So we've had an average over the past seven days of about 16,000 new cases. Of course, there's been this announcement. So we had already Paris and Marseille, the two largest cities, on the highest level uh, of um, alert uh, already for the past two weeks. And they added last week uh, Lille, and Lyon, Grenoble and Saint-Etienne 
Vienne and uh, Toulouse and Montpellier were also two cities that were on watch and it was announced last night that were also put on a maximum level of alert, which means, for example, some of the measures put into place at that level is that bars are entirely closed, restaurants will work at reduced capacity, gyms will be closed, for example, as some of the measures that come into place at this level of alert. And of course, that comes as we see these numbers growing and all eyes, of course, are on the pressure in hospitals. And this is a real concern while death numbers remain still relatively low. It's about 62 deaths on average per day in the past seven days. It's the numbers in ICU are growing. We know, for example, we saw this tweet over the weekend uh, uh, from the head of the health agency in Paris said, uh, and I'm quoting here, so for the nine, the, for nine months, this epidemic rhymes with uncertainty. But now what will happen in the next two weeks in hospitals is written and there is no doubt. So here this, this dire warning here from the head of the health agency in Paris. So this concern about the pressure on hospitals. We know that the Paris region, again, has launched what they call the Plan Blanc, which is an emergency plan for hospitals where they cancel some, um, some surgeries, for example, uh, as well as cancel some of the holidays for the hospital staff. So they're keeping an eye on that. At the moment, it's 1,400 people in ICUs across the country. That's that from the 7,000 numbers that we saw earlier in the spring. But of course, as we see this number of infections that's still incredibly high, that's this 27,000 number on Saturday, the concerns of what we will see in the next week or two. So again, the message from the public authority saying uh, to calling for people to um, reduce the number of social interactions. You had this tweet, for example, from the French government yesterday telling people to gather with a, a maximum uh, team of 10 people yesterday to watch uh, the football match yesterday of France against Portugal. So they have tried to put this message out calling people for responsibility while putting these local measures in place while trying to tackle the level of infections uh, locally. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.